Whitney's going to be all right. He's got a couple of cuts and bruises, but nothing serious. Does he remember anything? No. Just that something smashed his truck, and he woke up in the ambulance. You need to talk to Mom. I think I really freaked her out this time. You also made her really proud, Clark. Dad, something else happened to me this morning. When I woke up, I was kind of floating. Floating? As soon as I woke up, I crashed. I mean, Dad, what's happening to me? I honestly don't know. As soon as you start breaking the law of gravity, we're definitely in uncharted territory. I just wish it would stop. Look, Clark, I'm your father. I'm supposed to have all the answers, and it kills me that I don't. But look, you gotta have faith that we'll figure this thing out together. I do, but this is happening to me, and I'm scared. Somebody save me indeed. Hello and welcome to Farm to Fable, a Smallville rewatch fan cast. I am your forever host, Michael, and I'm also the host of the RPG Academy podcast, where I talk mostly about role-playing games, but all tabletop gaming in general. I also organize a three-day gaming convention held in Dayton, Ohio, each November. Before we get started, please be advised that Farm to Fable may include adult language and reference adult behavior. Please consider us PG-13 in regards to content acceptability for your young ones. Also, this is your spoiler warning. While we will focus on each episode week to week, our discussions may and likely will reference the entire series run and the wider Superman mythos. You can email our show at smallvillefancast at gmail.com with any comments, concerns, or questions. Please follow us on Twitter at Farm2Fable and join our Facebook group page at Smallville Farm to Fable. With all of that out of the way, let's meet today's co-host. Here on Farm to Fable, we will have a rotating cast of co-hosts, and today for Season 1, Episode 2, Metamorphosis, I am joined by Case, a.k.a. Sheriff Jetsorian. Case, welcome to Smallville. Hi, Michael. Long-time listener. <laughs> First-time visitor? Yeah, second or third-time visitor. Just not recorded. So is there anything you want to share with our potential audience of, you know, three people? Uh, a little bit about yourself, your history with Smallville or comics, or is there anything in particular you want to share before we get started? Well, some of my earliest, like, happy memories as a kid involve Superman. So I was on board with Smallville from the get-go, because as a kid, I was very sickly. And I did not want to cooperate with my mom going to the doctor or anything like that. And the way she got me on board was we go to the drugstore afterwards. The drugstore had comic books. Oh, yeah. I got one every single time I got had to go. And Superman became one of the big things for me. I've always loved the Boy Scout heroes ever since then. Fantastic. Uh, so this is our second episode. So it'll be just a little bit different than our pilot. But one of the things that we are going to do here is because we're going to have rotating co-hosts is each host will have a chance to ask a question that the next host will answer as a way to continue to kind of get let us get to know them as we start the episode. So last week, Alan asked the question, if you could change any one aspect of casting, who would it be and why? So Case, how would you answer that question? I have an answer. 
and I can't defend it very well because I think a lot of the blame is on the writers more than the actors. But this person is the person that makes me like, I just don't enjoy seeing them a lot, which is unfortunate because it's Kristen Kruick. Yeah, she's she's a pretty big part of the show. Yeah, no, giant part of the show. Way too big of a part of a show, in my opinion. I don't, I did not get why they were so fixated on Lana, other than that they didn't have Lois in the scene at this point. But uh, something about her always bothered me. And seeing her in other media didn't change my opinion on that. So, like, maybe someone else could have carried that role better. Totally fair. Totally fair. I mentioned before, I think in the last episode, that there are moments where I'm very impressed with her acting and there are other parts that I'm not. And for me, primarily where it doesn't work with her is when she does a lot of face acting like where she's supposed to be just sort of silently processing emotion and she'll do, you know, various facial eye movements or, you know, smile, not smile, frowns, uh, trying to show that she's thinking or feeling. And generally when she does that, it doesn't work for me. But when she's actually acting, I'm, I don't really have a big problem with her. I think she, she's okay, but I totally understand your point of view. What about you? So, Anyone who listens to my other show and anyone who listens to this for a while will understand quickly, I have a problem following the rules, uh, even if they're my own rules. So I have two. First, and then this is early on, I probably would have just gotten rid of Pete completely. Like I love Pete. Well, the first time we watched this, every time he came on screen, me and my wife would go, Petey! Like we just, it was a thing we did. I like Sam Jones. I think he does a fine job. but. I absolutely love the Clark and Chloe relationship. When she becomes his confidant, I think that's the best part of the show. I would, I 100% agree with you on that. So if we didn't have Pete in the show, likely we would have gotten that earlier. So maybe even as like early as season two, he would have confided in Chloe, not having the Pete character to confide in first. So, and you know, uh, Sam ended up leaving the, the show in season three. He wasn't too happy with his role, and I can't really blame him. He wasn't getting to do a lot. So I just, again, I don't mind that he's there. I like his character a lot. But if I was going to choose one aspect, that would probably be it. Except for the truly strange thing is the Sean and Aaron Ashmore situation. Are you familiar with this at all? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, so Sean and Aaron Ashmore are twins. They're actors. They've been in a lot of different things. Um, and I get confused because they are basically identical twins. Uh, they were like in the X-Men. He's Bobby Drake. He was in Veronica okay. Mars. So Sean was cast in season one and three as Leech. He was a villain. Yeah, He's the okay. one that gets Clark's powers due to a lightning strike in season one. And then again in season three, he's in the Bell Rev uh, mental facility and they they create a like a breakout attempt and he does it again so he was in the show season one and season three and then in season six they bring his brother aaron ashmore who looks exactly like him they're twins to play jimmy olsen oh man no one comments on the fact that this guy looks exactly like one of clark's villains then they go like two and a half seasons where he plays a great jimmy olsen i love him he's great yeah. But then, spoilers, he dies. He gets killed. And then at the funeral, there's a moment where someone hands his camera to a young kid who's like 11 
who's actually Jimmy Olsen, because this guy was, his middle name was James or something, I don't know. So it was yeah. like this bait and switch where they make you think that this is Jimmy Olsen. No. And so they, they're able to kill him off. Everyone's like, oh my God, I can't believe he's dead. Oh, just kidding. He's not actually the Jimmy Olsen that will be Clark's, you know, friend and Superman's pal. This other kid who's 11 at this point is. It makes no sense. It's really dumb. I don't like it at all. So I just wish they hadn't done that. I, I like him. I wish they would have kept him as Jimmy only. Don't have his brother earlier in, in the series. Don't kill him off. Just let him be Jimmy Olsen. But the way they did it, I did not like it all. Yeah. No, like, I liked him as Jimmy Olsen. I never made that connection to Leech, probably, because as I was watching it the first time around, it was far enough apart that I had the memory had dimmed. Mm. On the one hand, we've got that in the show. That's part of the show. I like because it's part of the show. I'm kind of on board with it just because why the hell else would Superman be best friends with a random young photographer that he has nothing in common with? He's looking out for one of his good friends, little brothers. Yeah. And I could see him taking that big brother figure like that. The importance of being his being there for him and and, you know, and actually doing that. Totally fair. So now let's open the Smallville yearbook and see our cast of characters. So interestingly, at least I think it was, I didn't even realize that the last week we didn't have the iconic somebody save me intro and then the, you know, the introduction of characters. That just didn't happen. So this is the first time we're actually seeing that. And I didn't realize it, but Whitney is actually in the main cast of characters. So we didn't cover him last week. So we're going to this week. But first, do a quick recap. As a quick review, our main cast includes Tom Welling as Clark, Kristen Kruick as Lana, Michael Rosenbaum as Lex, Allison Mack as Chloe, Sam Jones III as Pete, Annette O'Toole as Martha Kent, and John Schneider as Jonathan Kent. So we didn't cover him last week, but Eric Johnson, who plays Whitney, is part of the regular cast in Season 1. In addition to being credited in 24 episodes of Smallville, he's also noted for being Steve Flash Gordon on the short-lived Flash Gordon TV series in the early 2000s. Two episodes of Criminal Minds, 50 Shades Darker from 2017, and one episode of American Gods. He's also credited with voicing Sam Fisher in the Splinter Cell Blacklist video game from 2013. Now for guest stars. Hey, Clark. Look who came to check up on you. So, Chad Danella, a.k.a. Greg, a.k.a. Bug Boy, who personally I found looked way too much like a young Christian Bale in certain scenes and moments, See that? Uh, has a list of over 70 credits on IMDb, but the notable ones to me, one episode of ER, one episode of X-Files, where he again played a monster of the week role, this time as Rob Roberts, who has an insatiable hunger for human brains, Monk, NCIS, Ghost Whisperer, CSI Miami, Lost, and then 15 episodes of Blind Spot. He was also in Final Destination. Oh, I've seen those movies, I think. Uh, I think it was the original. It was the one in 2000. And finally, we've got Gabriella Rose as Mrs. Arkin, Bug Boy, or as I like to call him, Cool Greg's mom, <laughs> who has a vast list of credits on IMDb, including Time Cop, X-Files, though not the same episode as her Bug Boy son, Sliders, Dark Angel, Battlestar Galactica, and In the Name of the King, A Dungeon Siege Tale. 
which I want to jump in, is a terrible movie. Oh, yeah. Do a little bit of cross-promotion. We covered that episode on my RPG podcast as a as like a fun film that's kind of RPG-related. So if you want to hear a couple of my, myself and a couple people just go over that movie and loving and hating it, check out check that out. I'm not showing it in the throw notes. Show notes. I said throw notes. I think when it was coming out in theaters, I saw the trailer and I was like, no way in hell. Didn't go anywhere near it. <laughs> I've never seen it. The trailer was enough. It it is only good in that it's bad. So if you if you can sometimes enjoy bad movies, it's a fun bad movie, but it is not a good movie. I usually love bad movies, but that one didn't look like it was a good bad movie to me. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so let's grab this week's copy of Daily Planet and check the bylines to see who brought us this episode. I mean, that's a story that could land you a byline on the front page of the Daily Planet. Again, this is Season 1, Episode 2, Metamorphosis. The date of original airing was October 23, 2001. Uh, the character of Superman, of course, was created by Jerry Seigel and Joe Schuster. And Smallville was created by Alfred Goff, as I have looked up on the internet and learned to pronounce, and Miles Millar. Uh, the writers for this episode, again, were Alfred Goff and Miles Millar. The directors for this episode, there were two. There was Philip Scrigia. Um, okay. How would you pronounce that? Scrigia? I think I would pronounce it Scritia. I don't know why, but that double C looks like an S to me. So Philip Scritia, God, I'm so sorry, and Michael Watkins. Uh, Philip, y'all use the first name. Additional directing credits include episodes of Lois and Clark, Timecock TV show, Supernatural, and The Boys, which is a fantastic dark comic property currently on Amazon Prime. Season two coming out soon. I love it. Uh, Michael's additional directing credits include Quantum Leap which I might be the only person still old enough to remember that show, but I love it. I watched the crap out of that with my dad, Michael. I love that show. Lois and Clark, X-Files, Prison Break, Monk, Warehouse 13, and Justified, which is another one of my favorite TV shows. So, Case, are you ready to explore the Kawachi Caves and get a glimpse of where we came from as well as where we're going? The IMDb summary is... Bug lover Greg has an accident involving meteor rocks in his own insect collection, giving him creepy insect characteristics and powers. Lana is in danger when Greg decides that she is the perfect mate to start a colony. Alright, that's great, but it really doesn't tell us what we need to know. So let's dig a little deeper into these caves and ask the important questions. Does this episode feature a vehicle crashed or otherwise destroyed? Yes, multiple in fact. Follow-up, was Clark responsible? No. Does this episode feature someone falling unconscious for any reason? Yes, Whitney twice, and Lana once, sort of. Follow-up, what was the cause? Whitney, the first time, he loses control of his truck because Cool Greg punched it four times and it somehow flew down the road sideways. I counted those punches, Michael. Nice. The second time was Cool Greg picked up Whitney and just chucked him across the barn. <laughs> Lana's happens off screen, but we do see her unconscious, encased in some webbing, some Halloween webbing. Yes, it's, it's amazing. Uh, does this episode feature someone in a hospital bed? No, but Whitney was apparently in an ambulance. Does this episode feature Clark telling or showing someone besides his forever crush Lana his powers and or abilities? I would say yes. He basically, from what I remembered, 
just straight up tells Cool Greg that he's got something weird going on powers-wise. Yeah, he definitely, during that fight, it makes it very obvious he's not a normal person. So the follow-up is, does this person die, lose memory, or otherwise become unable to share this knowledge, or become a confidant of Clark's? Uh, he does not become a confidant, and he sort of dies because he stops being human and becomes a cloud of C really bad CGI cockroaches. Uh, does this episode feature Clark using his powers irresponsibly? Yeah. Does this episode feature a moment where a character travels a seemingly long way to have a short conversation and then leave? Uh, yes. Lex goes to the stables to look at Lana creepily, lies to her and says that he wants to speak to her aunt, and then sort of throws shade at Whitney on Clark's behalf. Does this episode feature a particularly thirsty moment for one or more of our characters? Thirsty. Yes. Uh, does this episode feature a cheeky bit of dialogue that hints at or directly references the wider Superman mythos? Yes. Does this episode feature a moment where a contemporary song cue that has lyrics that perfectly sums up a character's thoughts and or desire? Yes. So now that we have a clear roadmap of where we're going to be going, let's use our x-ray vision to take a look closely at this week's episode. All right, so for our cold open, we have Greg, a.k.a. Bug Boy, who is totally creeping on Lana, watching from a tree with a camcorder as she opens a box of butterflies that he obviously left for her in her room. So he didn't just creep on her, Michael. He stalked her, secretly recorded her, and broke into her house. There were definitely felonies <laughs> that were committed in the course of this cold open. He then drives home, of course, in a green Volkswagen bug. Arriving home, he sees that his mother has found his stash of Lana tapes and tells him that she's had enough and that tomorrow she's calling military school. Greg doesn't fight this. He only sort of laments, like, who's going to take care of my bugs? Uh, he decides then to take them out and release them. He's driving badly out to the wilderness where his erratic driving causes one of the jars or terrariums to break open. The bugs begin to swarm him. He then begins to drive straight, but unfortunately it's straight into a tree. Uh, we end on his screams with an eerie green glow spilling from his car. And then we have a shot the next morning. His mom comes into his room, finds that it's mostly empty, doesn't see Greg on the ceiling covered in bug bites and looking quite insect-like. Yeah. You have to note, Michael, not only was he driving erratically in a VW bug full of bugs, but he was listening to Papa Roach. <laughs> so many bug layers there. <laughs> there definitely was multiple, multiple layers. Almost like a chitinous armor around this metaphor. Now nah, I messed that up. Okay. So a couple of my notes. This episode had a previously on, uh, which I thought was interesting because that doesn't happen a lot. I mean, I've, I'm doing a rewatch right now and I'm up through the end of season seven and there's only a handful of times that they do a previously on. I think usually that's in like the uh, season premieres when they're catching up with what happened, you know, with the season end last year. And I also thought it was kind of interesting is this is like, a direct continuation like the episode really picks up immediately after the end of the pilot there's a little like editing trick where they the camera goes up to look at the stars at the end of the pilot and then they sort of come back down and we're looking at lana's house at the beginning of this episode and i read that in later airings that these two episodes were often put together and it was as if it was one long sort of TV movie. Oh. For the actual show release, they, you know, it was a week apart, but in the future they did it often as a longer two-hour-ish TV movie version, which I thought was kind of interesting. 
the made for TV movie thing, sort of, you know, that makes total sense. Because as I was watching it, I love how it picked right up after the pilot. Like Lana's still in her dress. Lana's mm-hmm. going in her room to, you know, put her little tiara or whatever away. Like all, and I was like, oh man, it, they didn't even give you that vague amorphous amount of time between episodes that they normally do. And I thought that was kind of great, honestly. And I thought there was a, like a little bit of kind of cool character building here because Lana opens this, you know, drawer in her room and you can see it's full of like ribbons and trophies and other tiaras. She's clearly a very accomplished young woman. She's, you know, she's probably won multiple beauty contests. She's also, we learned she's an accomplished writer. Yeah. Writer. Big time equestrian. Yeah. Uh, Equestrian. She's academically advanced, but she never comes across as entitled or arrogant. And, you know, again, Lana's supposed to be that, you know, the girl next door and she is, but she's also very talented on her own right. Like she, you know, the show makes her a damsel in distress for a lot of this show, but they they also (laughs) show that she really is a well-rounded and competent person in her own right. Yeah, I know that I didn't notice that. And again, that's probably a blind blind spot for me because I just have always generally disliked that particular character. But I do like that you point that out. That makes me like her a little bit more, not necessarily all her acting more, but that makes me like the character more. So I noted that uh, when Greg's talking to his mom and she talks about sending him to military school. Yeah. So much like as a young person, I overestimated how much quicksand would be a danger in my life because of the TV shows that I watched. You always thought military school was right around the corner if you were bad. Malcolm in the middle, Francis, Bill and Ted, Bill, Greg here. Is military, was that something that was threatened a lot? Because it never seemed like it was. Also, don't forget, Child's Play 2 or 3, they end up in a military school. It's one of the few times other than Malcolm in the Middle where it's followed through on. (laughs) And then uh, I just want to point out how bad of a driver is, I mean, is he supposed to be high? Because there's a couple moments where the way he looks, you know, he's just sort of got like a really slacked expression. It it made me think that they were so like subtext that he was supposed to be intoxicated or inebriated or high on something because he's driving like a person that doesn't know how cars work before the bugs attack him yeah no the bugs did not like they they were that final little nudge but he he should not have been on the road i don't know how he got around (laughs) to begin with because it was backcountry roads no one was around you never see deer in smallville he shouldn't have to worry about that. And he's swerving all over a normal two-lane road and somehow hits a pot hi- pothole on the opposite shoulder. Yeah, it it is wild how bad he is at driving. And I, mean, I don't wonder, know if he's just so emotional over his bugs. Maybe. I, my thought is that the writers were like, well, we need it to make sense that, that, that the, the bugs escape. They have to tip over. So he's got to, like, you know, hit a pothole. And then they just like took that to 11. Like he could have just hit a pothole or yeah. it could have been a deer that he had to swerve. You know, there's so many reasonable explanations. Like a pothole, fine. A deer would have been great because that's pretty catastrophic if you hit it just right. Like they could have hit it. It kind of got thrown in the windshield. He slams into maybe a tree if they want to be more dramatic. And that act right there, you know, 
it's going to keep going. He doesn't have those tanks secured and they just shatter all over and they're angry, you know? (laughs) It just makes no sense. And I have to wonder, because this car is never brought up again. Like, there's nothing about, oh, Greg's car was found on the back of Route 8. It was destroyed, but he he was, you know, it just, it seems like in later episodes, they would have, there would have been a line that explained why no one seemed to notice that. He well, had- to, to be fair, it's a VW bug. The engine's <laughs> in the back. If the front end steering wasn't damaged, no matter how bad the trunk, which is in the front, is m- messed up, he might have just drove it home and then parked it. Fair enough. See, that's why I have guest co-hosts on here, because you fill in my blind spots, because I had no idea that. I only know about that because my dad had one growing up, and my mom was terrified he was going to give it to me. <laughs> so then we have our first iconic, somebody save me, uh, as it, you know we burst into our credits. We, we have all the main cast of characters, which does include Eric Johnson as Whitney as our main cast. Uh, and then we have our Act 1. And Act 1 opens with a sort of dreamy flying sequence as we have a bird's eye view going over these fields in the Kansas countryside. And then we come up to a CGI uh, representation of Lana's house that does not look good. Uh, we go into her bedroom and then we're hovering over her. And then... You see Clark. We, we, yeah, yeah, exactly. The perspective changes. We see that it's Clark. He's hovering over top of her. So he can't even not be a creeper in his sleep. <laughs> so Lana <laughs> opens her eyes and just says, it's all your fault, um, which startles Clark. And then we hear Martha Kent calling up. He has to wake up. So he kind of startles awake. And then when he does, we see that he is hovering, in fact, in his be- above his bed, crashes down as he becomes startled, breaking his bed. Uh, we spend some time at the farmer's market where we see Clark use his powers very irresponsibly. Yep. Uh, Lana and Whitney come over. There's uh, there's actually a couple nice moments here that I want to talk about where Jonathan fawns over Whitney. Clark throws shade at Whitney. Whitney asks for Lana's necklace back, and Clark says he doesn't have it. I liked that moment right there. Greg, now super cool Greg, hits on Lana. She's totally creeped out by him, but plays nice and agrees to help him with his English paper. Lex comes over while Clark is creeping on Lana as Whitney kisses her and then he gets into his truck, that being Whitney. Yeah. Whitney is attacked by Greg, causing Whitney to wreck. And to be fair, if you watch, the last time that the truck roof kind of collapses in, Whitney jerks the wheel hard to the right. That's why it flips over. Okay, because he jerks the wheel to the right, but then when they cut away, cool Greg, gone, not even behind the truck. The back end of the truck flies up as though there was an explosion (laughs) behind it. That that's what perturbed me. The moment the truck settles, Cool Greg is standing there. He just like teleported. Yeah, no, I totally totally agree with that. <laughs> so the Kents pull up, and Clark runs over. As you you know said earlier, he pulls Whitney from the truck. The truck then explodes because this is a TV show, and oh, yeah. Clark shields Whitney with his body, which makes them totally fine. Even though I'm pretty sure that's not how fire would work in that situation. Yeah, no, like Clark. Body, so hot, he burns his father's hand. Whitney, ice cold, totally <laughs> fine. No damage. Yeah. Uh, they said, so Jonathan comes over. I do like the moment, too, where, where Jonathan actually takes the time to pull out the fire extinguisher from the truck. I thought that was a nice touch. Uh, but again, Clark seems to be fine other than he's singed. Jonathan puts his hand on Clark and, as you said, burns his palm. So that's Act 1. <laughs> do you have any thoughts or comments on Act 1? I mean, I thought... This episode seems to have lots of very short scenes, which usually kind of bothers me. 
but I thought they all actually contribute to the whole pretty nicely. And I like the little things like I drawing a little bit of a blank on the pilot. Did Clark ever tell his dad that it was Whitney that strung him up in the field or did he just not tell anyone that? I don't think it comes up. Like, I don't I don't remember if, if, it, if he did. I don't recall. If Clark had told his dad that I was kind of furious at Jonathan for fawning over Whitney after Whitney did that to his kid. But if Clark had never mentioned it, I could see it happening, but it's still kind of crappy because Jonathan's like, nope, you can't play football. And then he bends over backwards being the nicest person in the world to Whitney and only Whitney. I have the, those are in my notes. hundred percent agree that in this case, Jonathan is a bad dad in the pilot. Clark wants to play football and Jonathan will not let him. And he knows that Clark has the hots for Lana. He knows that Whitney's Lana's boyfriend. He's the quarterback. And he absolutely strokes him about the game that he played. And he says, I haven't seen an offense that good since I played. So uh, yeah, it, it seemed like Whitney was Jonathan's son at that moment, not Clark. Yeah, like he's drawing that parallel between him and Whitney and kind of just ignoring his son who he's in the past days shut down on the very subject that he's praising Whitney for. It's one of the, f- I'm going to say few, because overall I think Jonathan is a very good father. One of the few instances where Jonathan is a bad father, like you said. Yeah. So the, other, the first thing I want to talk about, though, is actually the the, the hovering. Because one of the key things about the show, and they talked about it from day one, was no flights, no tights. That this was going to be Clark journey to Superman. He would never be in the Superman costume, and he would never fly. And here we are, episode two, cold, not called open, act one, very beginning of the episode, and he's flying. So, so they do it that early, but then they never do it again until like episodes like season five when he's, yeah. you know, he's being controlled by jor or whatever. So it's, I just find it so weird that their big thing is no flights, no tights, except in episode two, we're going to have him fly sort of. It, it, it strikes me as odd that they would do that to obviously make us as the audience think, oh, okay, this is a power he's going to develop. But then he doesn't ever. I, I, don't, know, I, just, I don't understand the thought process behind that. I, I don't either. I personally have problems with the no tights no flights like not necessarily the no tights i can get that this story is clark kent it's not superman but there's no reason for me personally that he could not grow into his powers and get access to them in some form over the course of this show while still being very much clark that's my opinion and that goes to my question that i'm going to ask the next host but you know i can i can excuse me i completely understand i agree what makes me think is that in their mind, I don't think they ever thought they were going to last 10 seasons. Like, I mean, and, and no one should. No one who makes a TV show in the early 2000s should go into it thinking, you know what? We've got 10 seasons to tell this story. They probably thought they had three at best if they were lucky. So maybe they thought this was a cool thing they would pay off in three yeah. years instead of 10 years. Yeah, they got to that point and they're like, oh, no, we're just going to keep going. Yeah, exactly. We're just a lot of filler, a lot, a lot of, a lot of middle. I really liked when, uh, and it's so obvious, but I love that when Lana comes up at the farmer's market and says, I didn't see you at the dance, and Clark looks at Whitney and says, I'm, I was a little tied up. Five points to Gryffindor. Yeah. Great line. But I want to note that actually, if you watch that scene, Lana looks at Whitney with like a bit of a, 
like she caught on to that. She she actually picked up that there was something there, which I think helps later when she starts to figure it out. But yeah. but they didn't fly over her head. She caught it, even though no one else seemed to seemed to. And that goes back to she's a very accomplished and very smart young woman. Yes. that you pointed out, like she's not just the pretty lady. I liked the next thing that happened just after that when Whitney tries to to like be a jerk to Clark and be like, "Give me the necklace," and Clark's like. And I quote, you better get out in that field and find that necklace yourself. <laughs> yes. Again, five more points to Gryffindor. That was great. Because why is Clark responsible for Whitney being a jerk? Like on multiple levels. Yeah. Like one, he strings a man up in a field like something the Romans did <laughs> to punish someone to death. And then on top of that, he takes his girlfriend's air, like necklace made from a meteor that was responsible for like, like, it's part of the reason her parents are dead. Her aunt gifted it to her, and he just puts it on Clark to torture him. Just one little, one more little, you know, screw, you know, just digging right in there just to hurt him more. And then he has the audacity to be like, give me the necklace back. Like, it wasn't anything. Oh, uh, yeah, that that was, it makes no sense from Whitney's point of view, but it was a great moment where Clark actually stands up for himself a little bit. I, I did really enjoy that. Yeah. So while this is happening, we see Lana, she's like checking out some like stained glass butterflies, obvious. Of and course. And then super cool Greg <laughs> in the leather jacket, looking a lot like Christian Bale in American Psycho, shows up. Bug free. Bug free, bite free. Bug bite free. Looking cool. Yeah, bug bite free. <clears throat> and I actually really like the way that she ducked under the butterflies to get some distance. Like you can tell she was creeped out by him invading her personal space. It was kind of subtle, but I liked it. He was leaning on that the date part of a study yeah. date real hard, and she was that was setting off alarm bells. Again, she she picks up on social cues because she's like she didn't say no, I'm not going to help you, which I think a reasonable per person should have considered. But she's like, sure, at the library, like you're, I'm not going to your house. We can meet in a public, well lit public place. Um, again, I I think Lana acquitted herself well in that situation. You say that, but that's from our perspective. She is, while she is a very competent and, at least as far as the show goes, very athletic, feisty woman, she has to look at it from a different perspective. Like, women have to think about that. If she, A lot of times, like, I, I don't like this, if women say no to the wrong guy and she was getting those vibes that he was the wrong guy, she has to consider that that could lead to violence. Oh, 100%, yes. So, like, I like that she did that soft dodge and put distance between her like, that was very good. Like, I don't like that it was necessary, but I like that she did that. Like, again, it goes back to her being a very smart woman. Yes. Uh, and then we have the scene. You, Clark is watching from a distance, kind of creepily on Lana as Lana and Whitney are kissing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Lex walks up and says, you know, I can't fault your taste in women. And again, I talked about this last episode. There's oh, cognitive that's... dissonance. Clark Kent is supposed to be 14, maybe 15 years old, but he's six foot three and chiseled from marble lana should yeah, be 14 no. or 15 as well and here's lex who in the show is at least what 27 i think is what the the age i don't know if they ever say but the earliest he could possibly be just and be in his position due to nepotism is probably 18 but he's got to be in his mid to late 20s there's no way he could be that like have accomplished as much as he did and not be in that range. 
Yeah, I, I actually think I looked this up at once that they, they said the ages. I'm pretty sure he's in his young 20s, like 24, I think. So he's looking at a 14-year-old girl, and he is definitely thirsty in that moment. Hey, how you feeling? Thirsty. And I, and I yeah. love the moment because it, it's, it's creepy. Granted, it's creepy. But I love how he takes a bite of the apple, which, I mean, all the symbolism that that holds. And then he, like, yeah. the apple, I guess, wasn't very good. So he, like, looks at it and then he, like, spits it out and throws it, which I love just that. That's a Lex thing. But it makes me, like, was this foreshadowing? He's looking at Lana and then he takes a bite from the poisoned apple. Knowing the arc of their relationship, that is such a potent foreshadowing. Yeah. It would be great if they had known that they were going that way, but I don't think they did. I think that I was just lucky happenstance. Probably, but I just I like to think that maybe that was someone saying, you know, maybe in the future, Lex and Lana might get together for a while. It won't work out, of course, but you know, because I just I as soon as I saw that again, I'm like, man, there's just and I won't, I'll use the, the word cheekily ripe foreshadowing there. Yeah. But the fact that uh. Lex, like, spit out the... I don't think he spit it out, but I think he took one bite and then threw the apple down. And... He made a weird face, and he just kind of opened his mouth, and I think it just kind of either <laughs> fell out, or he just, like, pulled it in his hand, and he just kind of just let it fall. It was either, I think it fell out of his mouth, or he just let it fall out of his hand right in front of his mouth. It was something just odd. It was a weird choice, but it was kind of a funny choice. So the next thing here, this is one of my biggest questions for this episode. So we see as Clark is looking at Whitney and Lana that Whitney gets in his truck and drives away. And there's a scene between Whitney and Greg where Whitney says, you know, stay away from my girlfriend and Greg kind of challenges him on it. Well, and Whitney picks up on the butterfly gift. So Lana had to have told him that. Yes. And Whitney put two and two together and is like, obviously it's got to be Greg. Bug boy. Yeah. So, so, you know, maybe five points to Gryffindor there for for Whitney for not being a moron. He's he's the jock, but he's not a, not a dummy either. So he's driving away, and then we see Greg attacks his truck. And as we said, he punches, he jumps on top of it, he punches a few times, he flips over. But the point I want to talk about is that the Kents are driving up behind them to save the day. That means they left the farmer's market five minutes after Whitney. But at the opening of the scene, they are just setting up their stall. No wonder their farm is failing. They don't know how to market their produce. Yeah, unless, I don't know, unless the Kents are such a staple, they got there and maybe they sold out immediately, which doesn't make 100% sense, but this is a TV show. Or maybe they're friends with like a neighbor and they just drop the produce off, put their signs up, and the neighbor handles a lot of the transactions. Because Jonathan, while he can be super nice and great with Martha and Clark, he's kind of a jerk to a lot of other people. <laughs> he's definitely self-righteous. If you're not in his inner circle, he would be a, he would be a handful. But if you look, the back of their truck is full of produce because when he sl- screeches to a halt, there's like a whole bunch of apples, I think, or maybe pears. I'm pretty sure they're apples. Oh, wow. I didn't notice that. Yeah, they come that. rolling out of the truck. They had a ton of produce in their truck. Yeah, that makes zero sense then. I will say also that's one of the few times where Lex is greeted by Jonathan in a non-venomous way. Like Jonathan's like, "Hey Lex," and gives him a handshake right before that right before all that happens. So, we see much later. I'm, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. That when Clark goes to Lex's mansion and he talks about I came to drape, drop off the produce. My my only thought here is that maybe Lex like bought them out 
and just says, I'll take everything. You know, he's he's basically... I could see Lex doing I, that. I can too, but I, I want them to show me that. I could see. I could also see Jonathan just giving him a giant middle finger on it. Well, remember, Clark, there's that line where he says, I'm sorry my, you know, my parents gave you such a hard time about the produce. And he says, well, I would have arm wrestled him for it. So it makes me think maybe there was a scene that was cut where Lex says, I'll take everything, and, and they, they argue about it, but they eventually give in. Because that would explain why they were leaving. It would explain why they are leaving? It would explain why Clark was dropping off random produce later? Yes. Though, again, this happens again later. We, we find that he gets regular shipments of produce and things. So, I don't know. I, I, I want to think that there's a reason why they left five minutes later that works for the show. And in my mind, that's the one that makes the most sense. But it still doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, let's just pretend... There's a scene there where Lex bought all that fruit, all that fruit from their cornfield. <laughs> <laughs> so we got our, here's our first commercial break. We, we end with Clark saving Whitney. And they're doing nice little touches with uh cool Greg, by the way. Um, like when he's about to come on scene or when he's just standing there, you hear like you, the audience hear the little bug noises, Yes, like the sci-fi bug noises. And then they're also they're trying to ham up the fact that he's becoming just a little bit inhuman. So he does like the neck crack with like the not quite normal neck crack sound. <laughs> yes. It's got a it, it sounds a little bit over exaggerated, a little bit not natural. Like I like those little touches, even if it is very nineties. Yes, I, I agree. But he looks so much like Christian Bale, it freaks me out. So we pick up after the commercial break. We're back at the Luther Mansion. And fun fact, I learned this this week, that the exterior of the Luther Mansion is the same exterior as the Queen Mansion in the Arrow TV show currently running. Interesting. Uh, we also have the full-fledged office set that we will come back to so many times over the course of the series. Yeah. Lex holds up the necklace, Lana's necklace. He poses with it dramatically. He does. There's, there, it's a very sort of Shakespearean almost like pose. He's like standing there holding it up in front of a stained glass window and he just kind of shakes his head and walks to his desk and he puts it in a weird looking box yes. and then closes it. Uh, yeah. And then we cut to Lana, who's riding. She's riding towards the stables. She basically we see like three seconds of her riding and then she's at the stables, you know, take, getting off the horse. Lex is there being a creeper again. And he totally negs her. He's like, your form's good, but his gate's off. You should check his shoes. Thanks, Lex. Pretty sure she didn't need your input there, you jackass. Well, and she kind of gave him flack about it. I can't remember the exact words, but she didn't really take too kindly to his advice, I don't think. <laughs> I, I don't think verbally, but I think she does sort of like physically sort of like ignore and brush him off. He then kind of basically introduces himself and Lana's like, yeah, I know who you are. He could tell that there was a bit of acid in that. So we learned that. When Lana was 10, again, four, maybe five years ago, she went to Metropolis with her Aunt Nell to do a writing competition. They, they got invited to stay at the Luther Manor. She wants to go check out the pool and finds Lex skinny dipping with, with a young woman. Teaching her the breaststroke in Lana's Teach words. her the breaststroke, which was great from Lana. And, and we learn this just after Lex implies that he thinks Lana is incredibly attractive. Again, a 14-year-old girl. Well, I think, if I remember correctly, I think it, it almost works backwards that because what I want to say first is that, again, obviously Kristen Crook's a very beautiful woman, and I think she's probably 18 or 19. So it makes sense that Lex would be attracted. Like, Michael Rosenbaum attracted to Kristen Crook totally makes sense. Yeah. Lex Luthor attracted to Lana 
very weird. No. But when you watch the scene, it seems very prudish. Like, I, my first thought was, man, Lana's being kind of a prude. Like, who cares if Lex, you know, he's 17 years old, 18 years old, skinny dipping. Okay, that's not a big deal. But then when you're like, wait, she was 10 and now she's 14, then it starts to be creepy again. Yeah. Yeah. But it's after that that Lex goes, oh, that's you. Then he goes, oh, well, you're you're all grown up now. And it is the most awkward Ugh. Lex is in the entire show is that moment. He looks totally dorky and, and uncomfortable. He lost complete control of that situation. Yeah, and then he and then he tries to recover, and the way he tries to recover is he tries to wingman so hard for Clark and put down Whitney at the same time. Like, he's like, I just made this a whole mess between me and her. I'm just going to throw her attention somewhere else, and I still like Clark. Yes, <laughs> but I do think, again, this is Lex trying to be a good friend. He lays some breadcrumbs. He, you know, he, he makes it sound like he's there to see Nell, which I don't believe. Uh, I think he was no, there specifically for all. her. He's trying to like I said, be a wingman for Clark. He lays some breadcrumbs. He asks specifically about her necklace. He asks if she knows where Whitney was. And when she lies for him and says, yeah, he was with me, he's like, are you sure? Which is pretty damn bold. But I did like that. Other than the really creepy aspect of it, I really like that scene. Like, I think he showed up specifically just to be a wingman for Clark. And then he kind of fell into the extra creepy aspect in the middle of it on accident. Yeah, probably. Lex is just, he's got problems. Lex just has problems. Uh, so then we cut back to uh, creepy Greg's house and his mom comes in. And I, I don't think it's explicit, but like she she reacts as soon as she opens the door. I get the feeling that the heat was turned up really high. Uh, the thermostat said specifically 103 degrees. Oh, see, I missed, I saw her go to the thermostat, but I missed the readout. I didn't know that it showed anything. Yeah, I, I did a lot of pausing and rewinding. Cause so I thought it was pretty obvious that it was really hot there. But again, I missed the specifics, but it's really hot. As she goes upstairs, it's, it's filthy. There's like dirt, hand footprints all over the walls. Yeah. She goes into Greg's room. It's now covered in like cobwebs. Greg approaches her. And this scene in particular feels like a horror movie. And I really want to give oh, yeah. Gabriella, Gabriella Rose credit here. She plays this totally straight. Like, she looks frightened. She's great. I love her in this. So Greg uh, says, do you know anything about the pharaoh spider? It's interesting because when it hatches, it kills its mother. He does that neck crack thing, turns around, and then some very awful CGI webs shoot out of his mouth. Oh, so awful. It was a solid column. It was like someone took, like, the gray 3D model, like, sphere and just pulled <laughs> columns out of it is what it looks like. So the next thing is now Clark is back at the mansion. Again, we have that interaction where he says he's there to drop off the produce. And they talk a little bit about his dad, Jonathan, giving Lex a hard time about it. Uh, Clark is looking over the Battle of Troy set. And we learned that his dad, uh, Lionel, gave it to Lex, not as a toy, but as a teaching tool because, you know, he thinks business and war are the same. There's the cheeky moment where Lex talks about specifically the Battle of Troy was over two men being in love with the same woman. I feel like Lex put that out to teach Clark something like that. I don't think that's been sitting out since he was a little kid. That totally makes sense. I didn't think about that, but you're right. He probably did that on purpose so that he could have, he did the same thing Lionel did. He put it out there for a teaching moment. Yeah. And it, you know, him and Lionel, they're kind of, you know, they're very similar and they don't, and he doesn't want to be like his dad, but he is anyway. And he hates that. Yes. And that's a theme throughout the whole show. Much like Clark's Man vs. Superman, 
Lex is, is he going to be his father or his own man? So Lex goes over, takes the, the box we saw he put the necklace in earlier, opens it up to show Clark that he has it. This is obviously meteorite kryptonite, so Clark starts to react. And, and Lex picks up on it. Yeah, he's concerned. I don't. He doesn't put two and two together here, but there's something about it he notices because he closes the box and then Clark, you know, recovers. And we we get this the story of the box, that it's supposedly made from the armor of St. George. In this version of the story, he says that his mother bought it and gave it to him before he died, or sorry, she died. But in a later episode, I don't remember which one, but it's later in the series, we have a flashback where Lionel gives it to Lex. It's basically the same story, but it's from Lionel. And I don't know if this is like a continuity error or if it's supposed to be implied that when Lionel gives it to him, his mother is sick, but it was really from her. I can't remember well enough, but I, I, I noted that the story changed a little bit. I feel like it's got to be a continuity error. Because I don't, I don't even know if Lionel would bother giving it to Lex if, on his mother's behalf. Lionel's not a very cuddly person. No, he he is definitely not. Again, I'm trying to remember the episode. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think this is maybe the episode where she actually dies or she's very ill. But that that moment where Clark reacts and Lex notices it, though, like he's genuinely seems concerned for Clark, and that was another perfect moment for Clark to be like, "Look, there's something weird about me. You need to know." I think this show and Lex and Clark's relationship would have gone 100% in the opposite direction had Jonathan and Martha not been so dead set on Clark shoving Lex out of his life. If they had just been like, this guy wants to be Clark's friend. It's a little bit weird that he's old, but he's also an eccentric rich kid who probably didn't have a normal childhood. Let's make him part of the family. If they had done that, Lex probably would have died for that family. That entire family. He would have done everything for them. There are definitely moments throughout the series where you see glimpses that Lex, uh, initially his uh, motives were pure. He really did want to be a friend. But he he couldn't get out of his own way when he knew that Clark was being dishonest and being secretive. That just got in his mind and he could not let it go. So Lex offers to give Clark the box with the necklace, explaining that if he gives the necklace to Lana, that that will basically win her heart because it's so precious. But Clark refuses, doesn't want it. But he really doesn't want the necklace. It's not I don't think it's what Lex thinks, but uh, Lex basically forces him to take it. The next scene is Clark's at the farm and he's out by the fence himself and he's opening the box, seeing how the the the, the necklace, I, a.k.a. the kryptonite, affects him. And he kind of figures it out. He's realizing, oh, this is what is causing me to be weak. And when it's closed, this lead line box, I'm, I'm OK. This becomes important, obviously, later. Yeah. Then in what I think is a really good bit of acting, uh, Clark goes back to the barn to find Lana in his loft. And that's where we get that line you know, this, my dad built the loft. It's my fortress of solitude. And Lana says, did you know you could see my house from here? As, as she's oh, yeah. The she's... And we've already established that Lana picks up on things. She's not naive. And Clark just sort of subtly tilts the, the telescope so it's not pointed that way. I 100% think Lana knew right then and there that Clark had, had aimed it at her house. Yeah. Uh, but I just, I like the way that plays out. I think they both did a really good she job. She 100% picked up on that. and. I think that fact that Clark never did anything beyond that is probably his saving grace in that moment beyond him having the main character plot armor. He also showed embarrassment. Like 
you know. Yeah. So she mentions her lost necklace. Well, sort of. So she's there to apologize. She she found out what Whitney did. She followed the breadcrumbs. She knows what happened. And Clark's like, but, you know, you're not the one that's supposed to apologize, which, again, I think is a great moment. 100%. She talks about the necklace and, you know, that it's still gone. We see Clark look over where he's stashed the box. He decided not to give it to her, I think, because of the kryptonite. And and we get this moment because I, I mentioned the first episode that, you know, I think her carrying this necklace is kind of weird. But she, under, you know, there was a kind of a sweet moment where her aunt gave it to her and said, you know, life is sometimes beautiful, sometimes it's painful, but most of the time it's both. Uh, we cut over to Greg taking a really hot shower with a Brillo pad because he's molting. Uh, it's a very disturbing scene, even though realistically not much happens. He pulls off skin off like two places on his body and that's it. But it's heavily implied and I think it's well done. We're missing the scene where she confronts Whitney after talking to Lex and that's where she runs into Greg. And Greg's like, you, you know, you, you didn't show up for our study date. She's like, I can't. I got to go see Clark. And that's what puts Clark on Greg's radar, because now he sees Clark as a uh, competitor for Lana's affection as yeah, well. Yeah, so she does confront him. She storms off. Cool Greg corners her because he said he's been waiting over an hour for her to show up for their date in capital letters. And she's like, this is where she puts Clark on Cool Greg's radar. Because she's like, no, I have to go talk to Clark right now. We got to reschedule. Like she was already uncomfortable by him. She's trying to be diplomatic and get out of there because she has something else that she thinks is more important. And she's like, I got to reschedule. I have to something super important to talk to Clark about. And she leaves and he's like, oh, Clark's more important to you than I am. And like, of course he is. She's lived a mile away <laughs> and his aunt is friends with the family and she never talks to you. Why would you be more important than her boyfriend and the guy that lives down the road from her? Yeah, well, he's in that insect mode of, you know, mating and survival of the fittest sort of thing so I'm, i mess up the order but but that's why greg is in the next scene we see that greg has shown up to the barn so jonathan's putting some blades on a tiller yep. and they're upside down and facing up i'm sure that's not gonna be a problem <laughs> greg jumps out attacks clark clark and jonathan are both looking around trying to find him he's in the, he's in the loft and then jonathan gets pushed by greg he flies over or actually through some railing almost lands on the tiller clark super speeds over jumps in the way, protecting Jonathan, but destroying the farm equipment because he's a jerk. To be fair, I don't think that farm equipment should have been destroyed. It's steel blades, and it was the impact of a grown man landing on him. I don't think they would have been bent that bad. I think they just, that was, that was drama right there. No, I was going to say, and Clark could fix that. He could literally just grab it and bend it straight again. <laughs> so it's not... True, true. And then I just want to note that in the slow-mo shot, Jonathan of uh, Jonathan falling, we do not see Greg. So apparently one of his powers is after he causes catastrophe, he turns invisible for a few seconds. Well, some, some insects do camouflage. That, that is true. Okay, so now let's circle back around. The one thing I did want to touch on was when she was talking about the necklace. You find out that that piece of meteorite is specifically the piece of meteorite that killed her parents. Yes. And then her aunt had an artist turn that into a necklace for her niece. So kind of odd. But I can definitely see it being very important to her, but still an odd choice. And the fact that Whitney lost it. I mean, if if Clark would have pushed, Lex is 100% right. In that moment, Whitney is a complete jerk and hangs Clark up in a field, yep. loses her necklace in the process. If Clark is the miraculous hero that shows up and says, hey, I found your necklace. Yeah. I think she absolutely could have broken that relationship up and they could have gotten together. 
Now, the show doesn't want him to do that, obviously. But I think Lex Lex sees it. He's correct. Yeah. If Clark would just do the thing, he could have what he wants. And and he even mentions, I think it's kind of a fun, funny scene. It's dark, but funny. When he mentions, and like when he drops the protus off, Lex is like, hey, did you save anybody on your way over yeah. here? Yeah. You know, if, if you... uh you keep this up, you can make a make a career out of it. Uh, but then he says, you know, if you hadn't saved Whitney from that truck, all your problems would have been over. He waits like three seconds, and he's like, I'm just kidding. He's like floating that idea. Like, how bad do you want to be, Clark? And Clark doesn't pick up on yeah. it. He's like, by the way, here's a box with a necklace in it. Lex got a little bit dark there. And again, I don't think he was serious, but I think he wanted to see how serious Clark was. Like, you know, if Clark even for a second was like, yeah, I know. But he's, I mean, it was just so off put that he would even consider that. I think that's where Lex is like, okay, but don't worry. I got you back. And here's this necklace. This is what you need. I really think this whole section, because so last episode on the pilot, I talked about how I thought this episode wasn't very good. Yeah. And in my memory at the time, I remember it not being good. I've now watched it five times from 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 when I recorded the last episode till tonight. I've watched this episode five separate times. It's actually not that bad. The problem is the parts that are bad are really, really bad. <laughs> but the parts that are good are really darn good. But my memory was weighted towards the negative because there's some really bad stuff in this yeah. episode. So we start back. We're back at the farm. Martha's now in the barn. They're talking about what happened. And I really like this line because Jonathan says, I never saw anybody move that fast. And my initial thought is that he means Clark because Clark super speeds over to rescue yeah. him. But he's, but he's not. He's talking about, talking about Greg. And I don't know. There's just something about the way that line was delivered that struck me as kind of funny. But not funny bad, but just like, oh, I, I clocked that for some reason. Yeah, I, I love that moment where Martha and Jonathan, they're talking to Clark in the barn and they're wondering what's going on with cool Greg. And Clark's like, oh, people change. We don't really talk anymore. And Jonathan says, people change like they don't walk on walls or and you meet, they immediately see green slime footprints and handprints on the wall. And she's like, yeah, this this is coming from the man who hid an alien spaceship in his storm cellar for 12 years. Like <laughs> and we, we get a moment here because we, we almost did this as our cold open. This this bit of dialogue yeah. where Clark talks about the wall of weird and how. Chloe has this theory that, you know, the meteor rocks are affecting people and, you know, weird things. And and Jonathan, of course, is like, it's not the meteor rocks. It's Luther's polluting from their plant because yeah. he he hates Lex Luthor like Fred Jones hates Red Herring from the Scooby-Doo Adventures cartoon. Which this is a weird follow up to the relatively amicable greeting at the beginning of the episode when normally they have a not just counting the pilot and then beyond like but beyond. It's normally a pretty venomous sort of tension between the two of them. It's just a weird follow-up because it's like friendly between the two of them. And then now he's like, Luther Corp sucks. Their fertilizer is mutating everybody. <laughs> it's not your fault. But yeah, so so Clark kind of laments that maybe everything is his fault. And of course, Jonathan's like, but it's not, you know, and even if it was, you really couldn't change it anyways. You didn't, you know, didn't choose to come here. We then get a scene back at Smallville where we find out Greg apparently works at the torch or did. Chloe says he stopped showing up about a week ago. He's not turning in any assignments. And Clark tries to beg off. And Chloe, again, reading this social scenes, like, you know, I hate when you do that. Obviously, this is something. Why won't you talk to me? She's like, she's like, have you outgrown me as a friend? That was like a really good Chloe moment, I thought. 
And I love Clark's line as he comes back over and says, the only way I can outgrow you is vertically. Because again, he's six foot three. And carved of solid marble. <laughs> carved, carved from marble. But I think that's a great little friend moment. I really enjoyed it. Uh, so then we immediately cut to this, to Chloe having done research that, you know, certain tribes take on the characteristics of insects, but nothing like, like what Greg has ex- exhibited. That's what I'm looking for. And then they, they quickly come on the fact that it's probably the meteor rocks that they may, may be causing the bugs to mutate. And then, but cool, Greg has it, was it here when the meteors came? <gasps> ah, but his bugs were. <laughs> And then they're like trying to figure out, it's like, how do we not have a giant town of bug people then? And they're like, ah, but the tribes in South America, it only happened when they swarmed. Like they just, they <laughs> connect all these dots instantaneously. Yeah, they really speed through the investigation portion, which again, is one of my favorite things. I think in later episodes, they spend a little more time, but there is a trope of Chloe turning around from a computer with a printout that has the exact answer they need. Yeah, I do want to touch on one thing. There was uh, a little moment between Clark and Jonathan, you know, where they were talking about how Clark, Jonathan telling Clark it's not his fault. Clark acknowledges that, but he says he still feels responsible. And Jonathan tells him that that's what makes him human. And I thought that was a good moment there. And that goes to the, are you human or are you Superman? Right. The man or Superman thesis that I I think is what this show is, is all about. We have the Scooby gang going to Greg's yep, house. Spying through his windows. It, P- Petey's there Petey. yeah. and uh, they end up breaking in because Chloe's, you know, she's, she's not above that. They find the house in disarray. They find the webbing. They find the molted skin in the shower. But most notably, they see that there's videos of Lana playing in the TV in Greg's room and they find the, the husk of his mother. And that's when Clark's, oh God, Lana, you know, Lana's the next one or whatever. He's, he's the one that and she wants. Clark just super speeds away instantaneously. Yeah, right again, right away from his friends. One thing is, is Pete's the key there in that instance. It's not Chloe. Because Pete and Clark are like, oh man, how is that house so messy? And Pete's like, yeah, his mom was crazy. You know, she was super fastidious, blah, 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 blah. And then they're like, oh, by, Pete's like, by the way, do you remember his tree house that his dad built before the divorce? <laughs> and, and Clark's like, oh yeah, we love to go, go hang out there by the foundry. And Pete was yes. like, oh yeah, Clark hated going over there. He used to get dizzy all the time. And Clark's like, yep, I'm afraid of height. And then we find out that it was something <laughs> else. It was obviously the meteorite rocks. But uh, but I actually, I did like that line a lot, too. He's like, I thought that it was structurally unsound. Yeah. was like the reason why he said he wouldn't go up there. So then we come back again. I've, I've messed these the, the outline up. I totally apologize for that. Um, so after this, this commercial break, we go to the stables. And it looks like Greg is creeping up on Lana. But it turns out it's actually Whitney. Whitney's there to apologize for being a jerk, and they start to reconcile a little bit. But then Cool Greg shows up. There's spooky bug noises. And we get this moment where he throws Whitney like he's a rag doll, knocking him out for the second time. This guy plays football. He probably has more concussions from being friends with Lana and Clark than he has ever got on the football field. Well, to be fair, he's not friends with Clark. <laughs> well, true. H- hanging out with Clark in the circle. And then Greg claims, before he knocks uh, Whitney out, he's like, it's too late, Whitney. Lana's mine now. Just out of the blue. Like, claiming her as though she were a possession and not a person. Yeah, that's... It, again, it fits to... You know, he's a bug person now. I mean, if he was an actual person... I mean, it's, it's bad, but it makes sense that he's supposed to be this insect-like creature now that doesn't have social niceties. And he's just trying to 
you know, find the mate. And so it makes sense that he, if he thinks he's stronger than Whitney, he should be able to do that. It makes total sense if you're an animal or a bug, insect, not if you're a kid in high school. Yeah, I mean, if you're a person or a kid in high school, according to Law & Order SVU, this is classic stalker escalation. Yeah, this this is not good. But again, I love how he just throws Whitney like he's a rag doll, knocking him out again. Clark shows up. That's where the commercial break is. Clark shows up. Rogers Whitney's coming too. Clark realizes where Greg probably took Lana. He tells Whitney, drive over to the old foundry about 100 yards up. There's a treehouse. And then he zooms off again using his powers directly in front of somebody. Yeah, mid-conversation. Not just like... <laughs> also, right before they cut away to Clark and Whitney, Clark and Whitney, which Whitney just wakes up conveniently when Clark shows up, Cool Greg just randomly informs Lana, it is time now. And she's... She's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, for <laughs> us. And it's, she, she's just so confused. Like, Cool Greg is in his own little world, and it's not a good world for anybody <laughs> but him. <laughs> so Clark super speeds away. He gets to the treehouse first. Obviously, he climbs up and he finds Lana unconscious. Again, we didn't see how that happened, but she's unconscious in some sort of cocoon-esque Halloween. That cocoon is in quotes. <laughs> for the listeners it's in quotes yeah, but, but greg is there and greg you know basically says you know i'm a million years of evolution i've changed clark says i've changed too greg tackles him through the wall they fall to the ground and greg runs off jumps over a fence that has a great big sign that says creekside foundry in case there was any question of what was happening next he does the sci-fi channel super fast run <laughs> and then he leaps and and the jump which we'll come back to it again in a minute which is fantastic so clark rushes after as he gets to the foundry he starts to get feel weak there's meteor rocks everywhere i think there's even a moment when clark tells whitney about the foundry he says the one that was hit by the meteor strike yeah i think you're right <laughs> yeah. yeah so we knew this was coming so greg starts beating the crap out of clark throwing him around like a rag doll baseball bats him with steel pipes Hitting with steel pipes. There's one that says, did you know that the bullet ant can lift 30 times its own body weight as he throws him? Clark is weakened by the meteorite. What's interesting, a little bit interesting here too, just sorry to interrupt you, is Cool Greg, like Clark and Pete, like Clark had Pete convinced that it was because he was afraid of heights. Cool Greg, way back in the day, put together that Clark got sick around the foundry, not the treehouse. Because right, like right in here, he uh, like he talks about how he remembers Gr Clark always getting sick over here. Like he's like, something's weird about Clark. He's standing up to my punches. I got to take him somewhere where I know he feels ill. So like, it's kind of weird. He's like talking about how he has no rules and he does whatever he wants. And he's not even really thinking. And then he th does all this forethought. It's just a little bit odd. I mean, the argument can be made that that is the in in instinctual intellect of the animal kingdom. You know, maybe Greg doesn't know that Clark would be affected, but there's like this memory that, hey, whenever we're around this place, he acts weak. So I will have an advantage if I fight him there. So maybe it was animal intelligence. Maybe. Conscious thought. Uh, yeah, because cause Clark says in the treehouse, you're not the only one that's changed. I've changed, too. And then Greg says, you haven't changed. You still get weak around this place or whatever the verbiage is. I might have missed that little bit there. So then he gets in this little, I don't, again, it's like a, it's kind of like a box, but it's turned on its side. It's made of I think it's a, an ore, like a crucible, like for pouring into molds or whatever. But apparently it's lined with lead because once he gets inside of it, he's no longer affected by the meteor effects. Uh, he's able to grab Greg and throw him. And I always, 
it's one of those things that just never made sense to me that you're a superhuman and your number one go-to fight technique is just to throw someone like 30 feet. Why doesn't he just bear hug? Yeah, or punch. Well, punch would kill someone. Bear hug, they couldn't get away <laughs> as long as they don't have something like, I can leech your energy out of you. Like, he could have just bear hugged Cool Greg. Like, <laughs> squeezed him enough that maybe he passed out because he could probably compress his rib cage, assuming he has lungs anymore. True. He may, he may not. He may have an with the air sacs. But uh, that's one of the questions we ask at the beginning of every episode is, does Clark use his powers irresponsibly? I would fall, every time he fights should fall into that. Because if he had any concept of fighting tactics with his abilities, he should always win every fight easily. Like one hit. Yeah. Just super speed and then tap him in the forehead. It's fight's over. But no. So, so instead, he throws him across the room. Greg tries to stand up and he hits a little switch, causing this like big, heavy loader bucket scoop thing to fall on him. And then he turns into bugs. Turns into tiny, really terrible CG cockroaches <laughs> that were not the <laughs> bugs that were in his terrariums. Yes, it, it makes no sense. But fun fact, he doesn't die because he comes back in like season seven, I think. He returns for a guest appearance. He's He reformed back into Greg at some point in time. Huh. But he does not actually die here. I forgot about that. It had been so long. Was he in Bell Rev or was he just in the wild running around and he fixated on someone else? I think he was just in the wild. It's weird, though, because Chloe's like, oh, insects don't have a long life cycle. And he was like accelerating through, like molting, eating. And then his goal was mate because after that he should have died. For him to be alive like seven years later is interesting. Maybe he was celibate and since he never made it, he couldn't die. Yeah, maybe he imprinted on Lana and... It was only Lana that could have got him through it. I don't know. But yeah, but it, I mean, I'm sure it just there was there really is no story. It was just like, hey, let's let's bring this guy back. Uh, but yeah, so but but in the, the canon of the, the the story, he does not die here in any in any way. He just transforms forms for some reason. So Clark leaves. He gets outside just in time to see that Whitney has actually rescued Lana, cementing his place back as her boyfriend. Rescued in quotes, folks. Rescued in quotes. <laughs> Uh, they they hug and start walking towards his car, and then Clark just looks at them longingly. Then we get our music cue, the calling, wherever you will go. Clark is in his barn. He's got the box uh, with Lana's necklace. He goes over to her house, and it looks like he's about to maybe you know knock on the door and give it to her. But then when she starts coming to the door, he chickens out. Yeah, he just leaves it on the doorknob. He just leaves it hanging on the doorknob. Why do you think? Like, do you have a theory as to why he didn't? follow through and just be there and give it to her i i mean they're 14 is the only thing i could think of is like why would you not just give it back like she knows that he was scarecrowed you could just be like whitney did this one other one other thing i found the necklace after i after it fell off me in the field here i know it means something to you like that would have been good bonus points for him like i'm not saying it would have broke up Whitney and Lana's relationship or anything but she could have been like you're really trying to be a friend I'm gonna ignore the telescope that's pointed at my house <laughs> yeah dad seriously don't let girls in my loft yeah <laughs> to be fair there's no door or anything anyone can go up there <laughs> Just... <laughs> it's more like a fortress of uh open air concept anyone? it's an open market of solitude <laughs> yes <laughs> uh but but my theory here is this is the man versus Superman 
moment. And in this moment, he chooses Superman. Yep. That makes sense. Because the man wants to be with Lana, but he knows if he gives her the necklace, there's going to be a moment where he has to open it and then he's going to be weak. He's going to be affected. And I don't think he wants to be like that in front of her again because he was like that in front of her for a long time. Never knew why. It wasn't until the pilot episode where she loses it. They start to have a connection. And I think the idea of her seeing him in that state, even if she doesn't understand why, is makes him uncomfortable. So he chooses the Superman, just save you. Here's your thing. You don't have to know it was me. I'm not going to take credit versus I'm trying to score points with Lana. So it's a bit weaker than in a lot of other episodes in the pilot. But in my mind, that was the man versus Superman moment. You could also, you know, saving Whitney, as Lex calls out, he saved someone as Superman, even though this was his rival for his love. Yeah. Where Greg was willing to do whatever it took, including murder, to make sure he could have Lana. Clark could not even fathom not saving someone, even if he doesn't like them or is a direct competition. So those are my two man versus Superman moments in this episode. The final scene, though, like after that is he doesn't like he's super speeded over there. You can tell he did. But leaving, like he's just walking on the backcountry road just as a person, like almost as a counterpoint to that, him choosing to be the Superman. He's just like this 14-year-old kid carved out of Marvel, just slowly walking down the road, looking at the stars. We almost need the the Incredible Hulk banner music. Yeah, it's, it was that Incredible Hulk end credits music right Sad. there. Yeah, Sad music walking. All right, so overall, what were your thoughts on this episode? Is there anything we didn't talk about in general or just big I think we covered pretty much everything. And, like, I mean, overall, I enjoyed this episode because I think for me this one fell on the peaks, whereas for you and your memory it fell on the uh, valleys. Yep. Yeah, no, I just, I enjoyed it. We talked about pretty much everything I think I had to talk about. All I think I've got left is my question for the next host. All right, well, let's hear it. So what is your Pass the Torch question for our next co-host to answer? My question is, do you think that the show's hardline, and I'm going to put hardline in quotes because of what happened at the beginning of this episode, on No Tights, No Flights was a benefit or a hindrance to the show, and why? Okay. All right, so that will do it for this episode. Please stay tuned after the closing credits for the scoreboard rundown, which is going to continue to get more and more awesome as we go. Case, last question. Um, where can people find you? Do you have any podcasts you do, any websites, anything that you'd want someone to come, or if they just want to say hi to you, uh, where can they get a hold of you? I mean, I'm on Twitter. I think it's at CE Pendragon, but you might be able to find me if you just search for Sheriff Jetsorian, J E T S A U R I A N. Other than that, I mean, I drive boats in Chicago on the river. If you're a tourist, come say hi. I drive the L and Blackwater taxis. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Um, as for myself, obviously, I'm Michael here at the RPG Academy, as well as here at Farm to Fable, the Smallville Retrospective Fancast. And uh, just a reminder that if we can get to 100 iTunes, USA iTunes ratings and reviews by the end of the season, season one, or I'm going to change a little bit, 150 total reviews. So because we do, we will likely get some from other countries. Our other podcast does. We have yeah, you know, five or six from Canada and five or six from Australia. But if we get to 150 total or 100 US in between season one and season two, we are going to record a um, a podcast, an actual play 
of the Smallville role-playing game. So myself um, and some of the other co-hosts that we can gather back up, we will play a, a scenario of a sort of Elseworld, Smallville, maybe basically Smallville episode that's not canon, but maybe canon in our hearts, and that will come out as a bonus special episode in between season one and season two. So please share us with a friend or even someone you don't like. Just tell someone about us <laughs> and go on iTunes and leave us a rating and review. Uh, and you can find everything I do at the RPG Academy. So thanks, and we'll see you next time. Farm to Fable is a Smallville rewatch fan cast and is not officially affiliated with DC Comics, Warner Brothers Television, the CW Network, or any other owners of Smallville and or its related source materials. As such, these companies retain sole ownership of all symbols, images, names, logos, and other proprietary material related to Smallville. Our use of logos, images, names, likenesses, and sound clips are being used under the Fair Use Guidelines. Our logo was created by Michael Waldschlager II. You can find Michael on Twitter at LoserMLW. Farm to Fable is written, edited, and produced by me, Michael Ross, with additional input by weekly co-hosts as credited in each episode's show notes. And now, let's check the scoreboard. Total number of vehicles wrecked, seven. Three by meteor strike, one by driving into a meteor strike zone, one by driving off a bridge, one due to a bug swarm attack, and one due to a meteor freak attack, bug boy on Whitney's truck. Total number of times a person has been knocked unconscious. Four, one, Lex drove off a bridge. Two, Whitney wrecked his truck due to bug boy attack, and then later was thrown into a horse stall by bug boy. And then one, Lana, happens off screen, but we do see her unconscious in a cocoon of some sort. Total number of, number of times someone goes to the hospital currently at zero. That will change shortly. Total number of times Clark's tells or shows someone other than Lana his abilities, two.